Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm sure a lot of it has to do with misogyny, trans misogyny, but it's like we're not allowed to be mad. We're not allowed to be pissed off. We're just expected to roll over and submit. Hello, Beauty Translated listeners, and welcome to another episode of Pod. This week, I am talking to a metal musician based out of the Bronx, New York, but she originally comes from Louisiana, and we're going to be talking about her French Cajun roots, her growing up in the South, as well as moving to New York, transitioning, and creating metal music, both as a trans woman and somebody pre-transition. So please enjoy my conversation with the lovely Forrest Brienne Couture. Hello, Beauty Translated listeners. This week, I am here with yet another friend I have made through that wonderful app we call Instagram. She has been a listener since day one and was an instant connection for me when she reached out. Please welcome to the pod, the metal musician, Forrest Brienne Couture. Hi, Forrest. How are you today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. That's a beautiful name, Forrest Brienne Couture. Thank you. Well, Forrest, could you start out with giving us an introduction to who you are? Yeah, sure. I'm 37 years old. I am a boring lady who fixes things for a living. I also happen to make music, mostly extreme metal. I have been doing that for, gosh... 15 years now? Making music. Making music. Yeah, making yeah. extreme metal. I used to be in like some pop bands and stuff back in college. It was fun. And that's pretty much the entirety of my life. Like that would be in my obituary. Like she made really loud, aggressive music and she rode bicycles <laughs> and she fixed up. That's yeah. fantastic. Now, could you give us maybe a little bit of background? Like, so you live in New York now, but could you also mm-hmm. maybe yeah. talk a little bit about where you originally come from? So I 
moved here from Arizona, actually. I lived there for about 18 years. But before that, I lived in Louisiana. I was born in, in Lafayette, Louisiana. My mom, as far back as it goes, my family's been from Acadia Parish. So super, super Cajun. My mom has like a really strong accent. I lost my accent when I was a little kid, but I used to go back a lot. And like my mom spoke a little Cajun French. I've got relatives that only spoke Cajun French. And that was pretty cool. Like I had, I don't know, rain, crawly, like little towns along the I-10 where I would go and do family stuff. A lot of heavy, heavy food, (laughs) a lot of working class mentality, which was really great. Um, A lot of inclusivity, which was really fun. But then when I was a kid, my mom and I packed up and moved to Phoenix, Arizona, which is its own unique, weird little, I like to call it a Southern runoff. Like it has its own culture, but it's very much like if the South really wanted to be like Los Angeles Mm. when it comes to fashion and attitude and stuff like that. And then I've lived in New York City for 14 years. I moved here after college. Fantastic. Being a trans woman in New York, I'm sure, is very different than being a trans woman in Phoenix versus being a trans woman in Lafayette. You recently went back to Louisiana for a family reunion. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, what was that like for you? That was super weird. So my family has this family reunion, my mom's side of the family. It's a bunch of people I hadn't seen in about 30 years. I don't remember any of them. They had a family reunion in Holly Beach, which is south of Lake Charles on the Gulf. They call it the Cajun Riviera. (laughs) And it was the first time I'd seen my mom and my sister since starting transition. Because before that, the last time I saw them was February of 2020. Not a good year for traveling. Yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So so that was really weird. We got all the weirdness out of the way. My mom generally was pretty accepting. Yeah, it was super strange being in this place that I hadn't been in so long, looking at it through new eyes, like thinking about how people saw me, 2023, not the best year to be a trans person in certain parts of the country. Not the worst probably, but not the best. Generally, not an issue. A lot of stares, but I'm kind of used to that in certain places. I travel for work through the Midwest sometimes. Not too strange for that. Everyone at the family reunion was so rad. I was so nervous. I'm still very much a baby trans. I've only been doing this for like a year. And so I don't know. That was the thing too. It's like, I didn't know how much of them knew, like remembered me. Mm -hmm. I did have someone mention, oh yeah, you're Darlene's kid. Didn't she also have an older son? And then one of the other cousins was like, nope, she's the oldest one. And I was like, yes, Ally, ally win. Allies. (laughs) But yeah, I'll admit, I'm very much a New Yorker, like now, like I've lived here for 14 years, but it was really kind of shocking seeing all of these people in Realtree camo and Trump bumper stickers and stuff all sitting around a bonfire next to an RV with a huge pot of gumbo (laughs) behind us and me just like sitting there talking like normal. It was really cool. I I couldn't help but think of like a lot of the political and social implications Mm -hmm. of it. It's hard to separate that, but I also don't want to downplay any experiences that anyone else has and just the truth of the nature. But it was was really refreshing for me. A refreshing moment of coming together with people that you normally wouldn't see yourself sharing community with or sharing dinner with or whatever. Right, exactly. We don't get that many people like that up here. And also it was weird because they didn't really feel like family. Right. I mean, that's kind of the magic of, I think, the Cajun experience. They generally will just make you feel like family regardless of whether you're blood or not. 
I'm really proud to be a part of that heritage wise, even though I've kind of disconnected from that a lot, but I'm trying to connect more with that because it's so valuable to me. I think that's been going on lately. A lot of trans women from the South, I've noticed reconnecting with that complicated history. And I think you and I both bond over that through like we talk about like Ethel Kane's music and all of that. Oh and how that kind of touches yeah. us in that way. I just want to give people like maybe a little bit more of an idea of what Cajun culture is like, what a Cajun gathering is like. Paint us a picture. So this is a family reunion. It's actually not super different from a lot of other Cajun gatherings. A lot of it's based around family and community. Like I do remember a lot of this from when I was a little kid. Eating outside. I cannot think of a time when I ever ate indoors. It's super hot down there. It's super swampy, muggy. So like you're always eating outside. And generally you'll have citronella candles (laughs) all around. For the bugs. Exactly. So the smell of citronella (laughs) is always in the air. Outdoor kitchens. So this particular event, there was a huge, like, I don't even know what to call it, but it was an outdoor kitchen underneath, uh, like, an RV that was elevated 30 feet into the air on stilts. (laughs) It was wild. So we all kind of were underneath it to protect us from the rain. But you had a huge pot of gumbo that had been working for a whole day. You had more rice than you could ever imagine in one setting. And then there was another huge pot of jambalaya and banana cream pie and stuff like various and like pecan pie and stuff like various like super junky (laughs) sweets. But yeah, generally you're looking at gumbo, rice, jambalaya, basically seafood stuff. And then all the parts of the chicken that you wouldn't think you would want to eat thrown into Mm. a pot with spices and mixed and eaten. And it's just constantly going. It's like a perpetual stew. Like it's just always going. The entire gathering is based around food. No one shuts up about food. Everyone's comparing recipes. (laughs) It's very much family-oriented. There's not the, like, ribbing or, like, making fun of people. It's just, like, how's your mom and them? Jelly kind of thing. Hanging out. Like, just shooting the shit. And it's it's really amazing, and it's really low stakes. I was surprised at how truly low stakes it was. I thought I would be hanging out with my sister a lot more. She's 22. She's super young. She lives in Phoenix, but I ended up hanging out with older cousins, uncles, older aunts. Just as a result of like, those are the people you were having a really good time with at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome to hear. It's very welcoming. Well, I'm really glad to hear that. And I don't know if I've told you this, but I have some family from Louisiana. I've never been to Louisiana. Oh, I didn't know that. But I've always wanted to go. So now you're making me hungry and you're making me want to go to Louisiana. (laughs) It's really pretty. I need to visit. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk more about your music and your sound and stuff like that. Mother's Day is right around the corner. And in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. 
because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, if you, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. So Forrest, talk to us a little bit more about your music and your sound. How would you describe it? Or do you have any influences that you wish to talk about? Yeah, I both love and hate trying to describe it. (laughs) Um, It's a branch of extreme metal. I make black metal and I make doom metal. Both of which, for anyone who's listening who doesn't know what that is, I'm going to try my hardest to like explain it without making it sound unapproachable. <laughs> it's a kind of extreme metal, which is just like, if you can imagine, just very, very fast, very loud. Production quality is like actually really specific to this. It's very technical when it comes to the production quality. Very fast drums. I don't know, like 160 beats a minute or up. For black metal, it's very shrill guitars. It's from Scandinavia, like Norway and stuff. It was a reaction to a lot of the very overproduced and commercialized death metal stuff that was coming out in the late 80s and Mm -hmm. early 90s. And they're like, we're just going to go and be like more punk about it and go the other direction. There was also a lot of Nazi sympathy Mm -hmm. in that. So there's a lot in the scene that is trying to disown that actively, which I'm a part of. So everything's really shrill. There's really wild experimentation with production values. So a lot of it is like, if you can imagine, ambient, lush sounds with really fast drums and someone just like shrieking over the top of it. It makes you want to be in the middle of the woods in the snow in the winter, screaming at the moon or something. <laughs> That's what you have to do. You have to listen to it while you're screaming at the moon in the middle of the woods. In the snow. In the snow. <laughs> and then doom metal is slow. It's very slow. It's just the heaviest, most aggressive, depressing very slow music. I can't describe it as anything but just super duper slow and heavy and more screaming, but like lower screaming. So I know you said black metal mostly has its roots in Norway, Scandinavia. Mm -hmm. Is that the same for doom metal? 
No, doom metal actually came from the UK. I'm sure everyone's heard of Black Sabbath. Oh yeah, of course. They were the first metal band, arguably, and they would retroactively be called a doom metal band. So it's kind of had its roots. It's been around forever. And I think people over the years, especially in the 90s, when a lot of production values started changing and there was a big shift in recording technology, they're like, how can we get this heavier and slower and darker? And so, yeah, it's really, that's really good too, because there's so much that you can incorporate when you have something that's slow and the goal is really just like, let's do it slow and heavy. It can be beautiful. It can have a lot of classical influence. It can have a lot of Gothic influence. You can throw a lot of found noise, ambient, pretty lush stuff in. It's really amazing. So we actually have two different tracks that Forrest has shared with us for today's episode. The one that you're hearing now is Bury Them and Keep Quiet, the song Cast from Darkness. Forrest, tell us a little bit about this track. This is actually the most recent track that I've written and recorded. I think I finally got it hammered out maybe like six months ago or less. And it's on a split that I'm doing with a trans woman based in the Pacific Northwest who has a project called Feminizer. But our whole goal was to try to incorporate a little bit of trans stuff into it. So that song, I tried to make it really spooky and echoey. A lot of it is about just transformation in general and how nothing stays the same. Everything changes. Being just a trans person in general, we so like aggressively take like a crash course in change Mm -hmm. and impermanence because it eventually gets to the point where it's like, well, who cares? Nothing stays the same. Why is this a big deal? We just want to live our lives and do our thing. That's the main point behind it. I also threw in a lot of darkness, river and imagery and stuff like that, like decomposing and really cheesy stuff. (laughs) You could get real cheesy with it and it's really fun. Sorry, remind us who is doing instruments and who's doing vocals on these tracks? Mm. Okay, you're, you're doing the whole, okay, gotcha. Yep, so it's all guitar, keyboard, bass guitar. I program all the drums. I do know how to play drums. I just, I live in an apartment. I don't have a drum kit. amazing. But yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work, but it's really, really rewarding. The vocal aspect of it, it's very physical, and it's something I'm actively have to maintain. And it took me several years before I could do it for a long time without hurting myself. Yeah, I can imagine that. Um, It's fun. (laughs) I think that's one of the first things that people ask when they hear metal music, like, how do they do that with their voice? Yeah, and I think learning more about, like, trans voice training and stuff like that, like, I'm able to kind of tap into a lot of that extreme metal vocal training to dial that in. It is physical, but, you know, just like with anything, there's ways to do it for a long time without hurting yourself. Absolutely. And you have a beautiful voice, by the way. Thank you. Beautiful voice. Let's talk about the other track you gave us from your other project, Ocean of Ghost. This is the track Glorious Wrath. Tell us about that one. This one is just super pissed off. This is from my most recent album from this project that came out in 2022 that kind of made waves. A lot of people really liked it. It was a departure from what I used to do. Like I used to do a lot of fuzzier, dronier stuff with this project. And then this time I started writing this album right when I started coming out. And I was just so pissed about all of the legislation that was like starting to happen. And there was this huge sea change in 
when people talked about like being trans, especially being a trans woman, like a trans femme yeah. person, had to do with sadness, had to do with the loss of a childhood and like all this stuff. And like, I'm not gonna knock anyone for having those feelings, but I felt rage. I was so pissed and I feel like anger and revenge and just pure rage is not something that's talked about and like expressed enough in the trans femme kind of community. And oh yeah. I'm sure a lot of it has to do with misogyny, trans misogyny, but it's like we're not allowed to be mad. We're not allowed to be pissed off. We're just expected to roll over and submit. Yeah, I mean, for the same reasons why cis women can be celebrated for being more assertive or aggressive or angry, trans women can be told that they're too masculine for doing those things, which is like a complete double standard. Right. When really it has nothing to do with our gender. (laughs) I can relate to feeling like society wants you as a trans woman to be as polite and as nice and as, I think palpable as possible for people. Exactly. And I'm glad you brought up how cis women are kind of lauded for expressing those feelings. Because if we act like that, if we act assertive, we have to contend with like, okay, do they think I'm being too manly? Right. And do they think I'm being too bitchy? Or are they going to say that that's... It's like we've got both of them. Are they going to say that that's like my quote unquote, my male socialization? (laughs) Male socialization. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. Like... (laughs) Don't even, don't even, you know. Right. Um, so yeah, it's frustrating and infuriating and mm-hmm. it makes me mad thinking about it. And I can only imagine, you know, I've been transitioning for a long time and I have seen that things have gotten worse for trans people within the last 15 or plus years that I've been transitioning. And so I commend you for coming out in a time <laughs> of such great uncertainty, turmoil, all of that, because that couldn't have been easy. You've been in metal music for 15 plus years. Oh, yeah. And you've been transitioning for about two of those years. What has it been like being in the metal music scene as a trans woman? It was a lot weirder at first, kind of like subtly dropping hints to my fans. Like I stopped signing my name at the end of email blast or whatever. I stopped having photographs of myself out there. And I was so convinced that I was the only one, with the exception of Margaret Kiljoy. Oh, yeah. She's, she's an author. She's awesome. She's I didn't know super, she made music. Yeah. I don't think she does oh. anymore, but like that's how I found out about her. Oh, cool. She had a project called Feminaz Ghoul, which is a black metal project. So I was like, okay, cool. So there's not many people like me. So I just like won't really talk about this very much. But then last year I put up a thing on my Instagram saying like, hey, everyone, I'm trans. Let's fuck stuff up, I guess. And then I started connecting with a lot more people. And I think so many of them are pandemic trans Mm -hmm. people. And a lot of it is like trans women too. I haven't really thought that much into it. I don't know if it's selection, confirmation bias or whatever, (laughs) but I'm starting to connect with a lot more and it's becoming almost a stereotype, like the trans woman who makes black metal. (laughs) There's a lot of punk influence in it. And I think a lot of the women that I meet in real life, like out at bars or whatever, and on the internet who make this come from the punk scene. And I think so much of that is very introspective. Mm And it kind of forces you to redefine where you fit in society. And with that naturally comes where you fit your sex and your gender. It's been 
not as challenging as I thought. It's actually been really empowering because it allows me to harness this super powerful energy and connect with other people who feel the same way. And I feel like there's a lot of really amazing trans musicians out there who need to be celebrated more. Absolutely. And yeah, I was going to say, I think trans trans person making X music, like it could be metal, it could be EDM, it could be like trance. I feel like there's lately more and more trans people breaking into the music industry because a lot of us are very musically minded, very, very musically inclined and want to express that part of ourselves. But I do find that fantastic that you've been able to find all of these other trans women in metal that have, like you said, all been kind of pandemic babies. (laughs) Yeah. And I've had this idea where I want to start some sort of official network or even unofficial network, because like I said, I'm working with a trans black metal artist um, who goes by the name Feminizer and like her stuff is phenomenal. First time I heard it, I was blown away and I hit her up. I'm like, let's do a split together. And we both happen to be on the same label that puts our stuff out. So it was a really good connection there. But I'm meeting all these other trans women. I'm like, I don't know. I I think I'm probably going to put together some sort of compilation soon, like hit up a few labels that are very queer friendly because people need to be more aggressively open allies. Like cis people who are not trans need to step out and openly say, I will work with trans artists. And if they won't, then we'll just do it ourselves. A lot of the music, like, yeah, sure, we don't have music about being trans. Not all my stuff is about it. A lot of my black metal stuff is not explicitly like... I'm trans. Like when you're walking through the woods at night in the snow, yelling at the moon, there's only so much gender that comes into play. (laughs) Right. But just knowing that it is a trans person behind it. Yeah. Making that, putting themselves out there, being vulnerable like that needs to be expressed more. Absolutely. We don't have to be talking about our transness in order for our perspective to be valuable, you know? And yeah, I think in music and all avenues trans perspectives are valuable. So I think we kind of touched already about how transitioning changed your relationship to the music scene, but how did transitioning change your relationship to the music that you were producing and putting out? It definitely changed the way that I think about making music. Before transitioning, I was afraid of it not being masculine enough. Mm. Just like so many of us, I had this performative masculine shield that I put up. So I was constantly trying to like, all right, how deep can I get my voice? Like how low can I go with this? And how like nasty can I make these riffs? So now I don't have that anymore. It sounds really cliched, I guess, but it's like, I can really just kind of do what I want. I can be myself. I can make stuff. If anything now, it feels more of like a fuck you if I do something super aggressive and louder and more vulgar, which, yeah, most of it's very tongue-in-cheek and it's hokey, it's goofy. It's like making a horror movie. Like, you want to scare people, but with safety. It gives me so much more room to express the things that I think a lot of us feel. Like, I try to channel a lot of feminine energy into a really aggressive space. And it's really cool. That's awesome. Why don't we go on our last break here? And when we come back, we'll get Forrest's closing thoughts. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives 
and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Forrest, before we close, any final thoughts on what it's been like transitioning in this phase in your life, later in life, and about finding community in all of this? Oh my God, so many thoughts. It's weird. It's definitely strange because, like I said, I'm 37. I started transitioning at 35. And I was not part of the queer scene, queer community whatsoever. And now all of a sudden, I'm like a tranny dyke. (laughs) And I am like happily and proudly. It's been strange because there's so many young people, any of the social events and stuff. It's like pretty saturated by young people, which is awesome. Love that. I feel like a lot of the older people are like still scared to go out and put themselves out there. And what Um, sense you mean? I mean, when you get into your thirties and stuff, so much of it, if you're not used to all the things that the queer community entail it's a very social community (laughs) a lot of it revolves around bars Mm -hmm. and i think when i first started i was like kind of bummed because i'm like oh well what if i don't want to drink like what if i'm it's a bar like i don't go to bars but then i started thinking about it i realized like well these are historically places that it was the only place that people like us could go and not get 
the shit beat out of us. And so there is this kind of history there. And it's like, well, these are like our churches. These are our meeting houses is queer bars. And that can be really intimidating at first. The meaning behind it isn't apparent immediately. So it does require some like actually going out and touching grass. Um, (laughs) And people who aren't in the community, it's really scary to do that, to go into a place that you feel like you don't belong because it's a bar. You're going to a queer bar. My first time going to a queer queer bar, I had to go with people. I couldn't just go by myself because I'm like, oh my God, I don't belong here. I don't fit in. They're going to see me as an interloper and it's going to be really horrible. And I'm going to get chased out down the street by these people with pitchforks. We have bridesmaids all the time. I don't think they're worried about the (laughs) tranny interlopers. (laughs) We got bridesmaids over Um, here. But yeah, so that's something that I feel like a lot of other people my age, like I'm not even, I'm not even (laughs) old. I'm 37. I'm still in my 30s. And then once I get to my 40s, it's going to be even greater. It's going to be awesome. 40s and you 30. But like what else is really strange too is I didn't start transitioning until I was financially like Mm -hmm. stable. I had what I consider to be a good support network. I live 4,000 miles away from my parents. So like if they disown me, tough (laughs) shit. Like, that's hard and all, but I'm not financially dependent on them. I'm saving for retirement. I have a job. So <laughs> like a 401k. <laughs> I have such a 401k. It's not even funny. And that's stuff that, like, if I had transitioned younger when I was 22, 23, which is when a lot of these other people are right now, like, I don't know if I would have been able to do it. I Like, I meet women who are 23 years old, and they are living month to month in an apartment that takes up all of their rent, and they just lost their job. And I'm like, I don't know how you do it. I'm so sorry. So, like, I'm in a place of privilege, and I can't connect with a lot of younger trans people in that sense. And yes, I'm older, but I'm also really young compared to a lot of other people. Like, I meet people who are, like, 25, 26, who have been transitioning for, like, seven or eight years. And so they look up to me for a lot of stuff, and I look up to them for a lot of stuff. It's really strange. So it changes that dynamic of time. Queer time. Yeah, we've touched on that a little bit on the show, but yeah, let's actually, like, talk about that. So, like, yeah, we have queer age, I guess. Is like, yeah. you know, I, even though I'm only 29 years old, I'll be 30 next month. People older than me call me their elder, which is weird because I'm not older than them, but I've been out for longer than they have. And so, right. you know, they look to me as the elder. And so we have our queer age, which is how long you've been out. So you're relatively young and you're in your queer youth at the moment. <laughs> Second puberty, if we want to infantilize it more. (laughs) Absolutely. You're in your second puberty. So yeah, that is definitely one of those dynamics that can be an interesting aspect of community because, you know, I relate to a lot of trans women across the spectrum in ages and queer age and all of that. It's very rare that I find somebody who is my actual age and my actual queer age as well. And so I think in community, we're always meeting people at different levels, I guess, of where they're at. And it's fun because it can get so dilated too in a really strange way. I remember when I first started transitioning, there's one woman, she's a pretty good friend of mine now, and she had been transitioning for eight months or a year or something when I first started. And so she kind of gave me a lot of advice about certain things. And I remember looking up to her and being like, oh my God, she's such a pro. She's been doing this for so long. And now it's like, we've both been doing it for more or less two years. (laughs) And we're both on the same level now. And she's five or six years younger than me. So it's like, we're more or less the same age. So it's like we're equals now. But if we meet someone who's been transitioning for five years, 
we're like, oh, okay, <laughs> this is someone who deserves our deference. <laughs> well, I'm glad you say it that way. Yeah, so you're you're just like <laughs> such an elder. It's awesome. I know. And, you know, I can also relate to you about, you know, struggling with finding community within the bars, stuff like that. I did all of that when I was like 16. I did it when I wasn't supposed to be doing it. But now you can't get me to go to a bar. You can't get me to go anywhere because I'm just not that girl anymore. And in the queer community, we have introverted people, extroverted people. And unfortunately, and we've already seen back in the early 2000s and 90s, there were queer clubs all over the place. Now it's just little bars. And... You know, if we vacate all of the bars, then there's not going to be any spaces at all anymore. So it's just an interesting conversation, I think, too, about holding those queer spaces sacred. I feel like it's really important to continue to be seen and go out. And there is a challenge of visibility without protection, which I think that discussion seems to come around every trans day of visibility. (laughs) But we can protect ourselves And we're just really strong together. And I get so much power and so much joy out of being around other people like me. And I think that's something that I never truly understood until I came out and started transitioning. And feeling seen is really powerful. It's really, really inspirational. Yeah. Yeah. And an important part of being who we are. And just taking up space, damn it. I'm going to be here, whether you like it or not, you know. (laughs) Any other closing thoughts on trans community, trans discourse? I love Julia Serrano so much. And I'm so, so thrilled that you were able to actually interview her. Her book, Whipping Girl, blew me away when I first read it. I first read it like right when I started transitioning. I wish I had read it Um, when I started transitioning because holy shit. Yeah, everyone who comes out as a trans woman should get a copy of Whipping Girl. What else would we add to that? A copy of Whipping Girl... I would also throw in Dream of a Woman should be in there too, because that's a big one that kind of helps conceptualize like we're turning into like a little book club, a little literary corner (laughs) over here. That one kind of helped me conceptualize where I fit in the world as a trans woman amongst other trans women in like these like kind of fantastical situations and stuff. Oh, and also Yes, You Are Trans Enough by a woman whose name escapes me. Her name is Mia Violet. That one that one helped. I started reading that one right when I started transitioning because trans Reddit was just too toxic for me. So I had to quit trans oh, God. Reddit. You want to talk about that yeah, for a second? Yeah, I hated it. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, there's a lot of different subreddits, but tell me about your experience on trans Reddit. I hate it. A friend of mine put it in a really good way. And if you ever listen to this, Cass, I'm sorry for stealing your thunder. Mm-hmm. But Reddit is really good for figuring out if you're trans, but it's really horrible at telling you how to be trans. That part. (laughs) And so, so much of it is just like, it falls so rapidly into the same cis, white, Western standards of Mm -hmm. beauty and standards of femininity. And it's really fucking easy for someone to be unsure of themselves and fall into some really horrible rabbit holes. People post pictures asking if they pass. And it's really sad to see these girls get so wrapped up into that. And they get so wrapped up into the what if and what if and that they never take that first step of going to the clinic and getting HRT. Or they're on the HRT Um, and they just never take the first step of wanting to live socially as a woman. Exactly. 
Yeah, and it's so sad because this is such a beautiful, amazing, powerful, and also terrifying experience. But you don't get out of that terror without putting yourself out there. And yes, it's dangerous, and yes, it's scary, but that's life. Coming out and living as a trans woman fixes exactly one thing. It fixes not living as a woman. Right. All the other stuff is still life. Like, you still have to live in your own head. And so a lot of these people are just victims of their own insecurities. And it's really sad because there's people who are perpetuating it. They don't realize what they're doing. Well, and then some of them perpetuate it intentionally. I'm not sure which community you're talking about specifically, but the one that comes to mind for me is for trans. (laughs) I've never gone on that because the second I found out about it, it's horrible. I mean, I've only lurked on there just to see like, what are these girls talking about? And holy shit. Unfortunately, we get like a lot of like community language from there. But They give each other brain worms, as we say. And if you don't know what brain worms are, it's just like insecurities, these like horrible beauty standards, these things that are telling you that you have to fit XYZ mold or you are not going to be a woman. And it keeps you stuck in this place of, well, I'm just not going to do anything. I'm just not going to make any move. Right. I mean, we all have a lot of insecurities when we first start wondering, like, okay, do we transition? And I'll admit, like, on Reddit, that was where I first read, like, someone linked to me the Gender Dysphoria Bible, I think is what it's Mm -hmm. called, which is amazing. It's an amazing piece of resource for people to read. That should also come in the mail, like a paper copy of it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The idea that generally cis people don't lay awake at night wondering if they're (laughs) cis or not, that was a huge moment for me. There's a lot of these good, like, timeless adages that are repeated, which I think is really important for people because I've benefited from that. Another one was like, you don't need to have dysphoria to be trans, which on its surface, like now in hindsight, I realize that's bullshit. (laughs) But at the time, like people need to hear that because I didn't think I had dysphoria. I thought I had joy and euphoria when I would think about living my life the way I live it now. And now I'm like, oh, fuck, I've had dysphoria my whole life. I just never realized that's what it was called. Right. I'm so glad you brought that point up because that is a very important point. And you know what? People do need to hear that sometimes because dysphoria presents itself in lots of different ways and it evolves and it changes as we evolve and change and all of that. And you may be having dysphoria that you're not realizing, as you're saying. I mean, transitioning doesn't fix all of your dysphoria, is what I say. I still have dysphoria, obviously, because, but it's a matter of understanding how to manage it, I guess, and knowing when to recognize it. But yeah, I'm glad you brought that point up. Yeah, like, just to add on to what you're saying, like, dysphoria, once you can put a name to it, it becomes easier to spot. And if anything, it might get worse. Like, it got worse for me. The first, like, four or five months of transitioning medically, I was... Full of brainworms. I was like a living mass of brainworm, <laughs> but it becomes easier to manage. But yeah, so so those are really good things from trans Reddit. Yeah. But they're paired with some of the worst, most vile like shit a, ever. Sort of like a crab um, pot, as we say, you know? Yeah. Like a crab pot. Yeah. Like a yeah. crawfish bowl. <laughs> like a crawfish bowl. Yeah. Well, basically, they keep each other down. Yeah. Like, hey, it's, uh, it's low key super problematic that you're climbing out. Yeah. So I think you should just come down here with the rest of us. Exactly. That would be more, that would be more equitable <laughs> and that would accountable. make me more comfortable, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Forrest, tell the listeners where they can find you, where they can follow you, where they can listen to your sounds, your music. Yes. You can find my music at bury them and keep quiet dot bandcamp.com so it's my bandcamp page 
And then my other one is Ocean of Ghosts. So it's oceanofghosts.bandcamp.com. Wonderful. I'm also on Instagram at bury them and keep quiet. Forrest, thank you so much for joining us today. It was lovely chatting with you. And I will see you on the interwebs. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me, Carmen. I appreciate it. This was great. All right, listeners, that brings us to the end of another episode of Beauty Translated. We're getting closer and closer to the end of the season. I hope you all have been enjoying this Pride Month, and I hope you look forward to some of the extended Pride programming we have coming out in the month of July, because we celebrate Pride 365 days a year, not just during the month of June here. So thank you again for listening to this lovely episode with the lovely Forrest Brienne Couture. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and stay beautiful out there. Beauty Translated is hosted by me, Carmen Leroy, and produced by Kurt Guerin and Jessica Kreinchich, with production assistance from Jennifer Bassett. Special thanks to Allie Perry and Allie Cantor for their support. Our theme song is composed by Aaron Kaufman. Beauty Translated is proud to be part of the Outspoken Network from iHeart Podcasts. For more iHeart Podcasts, listen on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. Well, how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.